Good singing. Hopefully that woke you up or kept you awake from all that good food that you just ate and we won't become sleepy uh, in the afternoon service. It's it's high time to awake. Stay awake. Amen. Judges chapter 8, please. Judges chapter 8. And if you've not been with us, we in Sunday afternoons, we've been looking at the life of the judges of Israel, or the lives of the judges of Israel. And we are studying the life of Gideon, or have been, and we're coming to the close of that uh, on the life of Gideon before we'll move on. And we'll not cover every chapter in the book of Judges, of course. There's only a certain number of judges that are recorded in the book of Judges, and we'll consider each of them as they come. But we're still uh, considering some things about Gideon. And I want to direct your attention to verse 22 of Judges chapter 8. We're going to consider today the temptations of Gideon's final days. I want you to see in verse 22, the Bible says, The men of Israel, then the men of Israel, said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's sons also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the gold, or the golden earrings that he requested, was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah, And all Israel went thither, a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house, And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again, and went to whoring after Balaam, and made Baal Beareth their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. I'm going to talk to you this afternoon about the temptations of Gideon's final days. And the text before us, it really showcases for us both the best and the worst aspects of Gideon's life. Gideon was a special man that God had used. We've read through these passages. We've seen that Gideon just led the nation to victory 
over their enemies, the Amalekites and the Midianites. In verse 22, the people said that you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. We talked about the victory, the battle. The victory was amazing. 300 men defeated an army that numbered over 135,000 men. It was an amazing victory. It was a great victory, and it was carried out in such a way that it left no doubt that God was the one who performed it. After that victory was won, Gideon even took some time and dealt with a couple of these Israelite villages that refused to help their army carry out the will of God. And we talked about how it's a dangerous thing to be found on the wrong side of the Lord, regardless of what your motive is. We talked about how Gideon in his march to victory overcame the stinging criticism of his opponents, the enemies of the nation, the great opposition that he faced as a leader along the way. But Gideon's battles aren't over. When you read Gideon's story, you see that Gideon was able, by God's help, to overcome every external enemy that he faced. But you're also going to see that Gideon failed when he had to fight with the inner man. He was a victor on the battlefield, but at the end of the day, Gideon ended up losing the battle even in his own heart. And what I see in the life of Gideon and from this passage, it actually bothers me very deeply, to be honest. And here's the reason why. Because Gideon shows us the truth that it's possible to live a good life, to serve the Lord, to accomplish much for the Lord. But, that, but at the end of it all, make some really poor decisions that begins to tarnish the whole thing and undo it all. You know how we finish the race is just as important, if not more so, than how we run the race. You can live a good life. You can serve the Lord. God can use you to accomplish much. And at the end of it all, you can undo it. All the good that you did, you can undo it by one or two foolish decisions. And I think that's what Gideon teaches us today. And I want to point out some areas of Gideon's life in which he displays both sides of his character, where he faced temptations in some things he did well. He succeeded. But in other things, he failed. And I want us to take a few minutes to examine these areas of Gideon's life and consider these temptations of Gideon's final days and make some applications that will be helpful to us if, we, if we'll receive it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us with your word and or may we stay awake today, pay attention. Father, to understand the, the principles that are being drawn out here. And Lord, I pray that you use them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The first that I want you to notice is that Gideon faced some secular temptation. Gideon faced some secular temptation. Notice verse 22 and the, the request that is made. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 22, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's sons also, 
For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. The request that is made here is from the Israelites. And the Israelites are so impressed with Gideon's victory over the Midianites that they come to him and they ask him to be their king. Notice how they said, rule over us. The word rule has the idea of dominion. And you notice here that they said, not just you, but your sons and your sons' sons. They're offering Gideon and his family a perpetual kingdom. They're offering it for him, for his sons, and all of his sons after that. They want Gideon to be their king. Because Gideon, and the answer, or the the reason was, because thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. You know, people are the same way today. Mankind is essentially the same. The man that can give them what they want, peace, security, success, wealth, that's the man they want to rule over them. And you see that even during the life of Jesus. You remember in John chapter 6, where Jesus fed the multitude, he took five uh, loaves and two fishes, remember that? And he fed a crowd of of probably almost 20,000 people. Go over to John chapter 6, because I want you to see this, how the people responded. In John chapter 6, we don't need to read that whole passage. But if you understand what's happening in this passage, Jesus performs this miracle. And the reason that he performs this miracle, the whole point of it, was to show that Jesus Christ is deity. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John to highlight and to show the deity of Jesus Christ. The point of the miracle was to show that Jesus was God, that only God, only deity could do this. Jesus wanted his disciples and the people in the crowd to know that he was God and to recognize him for who he was. What the crowd saw, though, was something different. Look at verse 15. In verse 15 of John chapter 6, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. What was going on here? In verse 15, the people, because Jesus could feed them, because Jesus could take care of them, because he gave them all of these things, they wanted to make him their king. Now, Jesus truly is the king of kings. Jesus will... Uh, sit on the throne, but there was a job that Jesus was there to do, and it was to shed his blood, to give his life for the sins of men. And the Bible says that Jesus slipped out of, out, of the, out of the way, and they couldn't take him by force. All that Israel, or all that the people cared about at that moment was that Jesus could do something for them. In Israel's case, and in Gideon's case, The fact that Gideon was a great warrior, the fact that he delivered them from their oppressors, the Midianites, the fact that Gideon could give them some safety and security was at the forefront, and so they offered to him this crown to be their king, to rule over them. Now go back to our text, and I want you to look at verse 23. Because we see the request that they made, but I want you to note what Gideon says, how he refused. In verse 23, the Bible says, And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. And note what he says, The Lord shall rule over you. Gideon sees their request for what it is. 
And to Gideon's credit, he declines their offer, not just for himself, but also for his sons. Rather than taking that, what he wisely did was reminded them that, no, I'm not the one who's going to rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Gideon likely perceived that God had called him to deliver Israel, but not to rule over Israel because God was to be their king. The people of Israel, in this case, they should have been thanking God for the victory. Gideon knew that it wasn't him that defeated those enemies. He knew that it was the power of God that gave them the victory. And the people should have been glorifying the Lord, worshiping God, thanking Him for that victory that they just witnessed. What they failed to see, that Gideon was just the instrument. God was the one who was wielding the weapon. Gideon did exactly what he should have done in this situation. He refused their offer and he reminded them that their allegiance was to the Lord alone. Amen. Now somebody say amen to that because I'm going to make a point here, okay? Thank you. I'm going to make a point. We need to be reminded of the same thing. Whether it's in the personal life or whether it's in the life of a church, it's not about men, it's not about people, it's about Jesus Christ. He is the one to be ruling over us. Many times churches get caught up in man worship rather than Christ worship. You know, because a man has led well over his years, he's led well in many ways, he's served for a long time, there can be loyalties that get built in, but loyalty can be misplaced for loyalty to Christ and His Word. Or, men like to make it about themselves. I've been here, I've served, I've done well, I've spent all of this time, I have this position, and because of position, they forget that they are servant leaders, not lords. And it's a shame when misplaced loyalties start to take over for loyalty to Christ and loyalty to His Word. The Lord God shall rule over you. Gideon did what he should have done. He reminded them that their allegiance was to the Lord alone. And it's a sad thing. Listen, when people get on the wrong side of the issue and they think that they're doing well, they think that they're doing right, but in reality they end up dishonoring the Lord because of misplaced loyalties. We can also do the same thing in the personal life. We rule ourselves rather than letting God be the one to rule over us. My thoughts, my plans, my directions. And the heart is not, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do or be? The point is, is that God is the one who's supposed to be the rule. Amen? He faced these secular temptations. He did well. He succeeded in this area of life. But I also want you to note, secondly, that he faced some spiritual temptation. And here's where we get to the issues that I want to bring out uh, this afternoon. Because despite Gideon's wisdom, despite his insight... In this situation where they want him to be king, Gideon turns around and proceeds to make a terrible blunder. 
Notice verse 24 of our text. Verse 24, after Gideon refuses and says, God shall rule over you, he makes a mistake. Verse 24 says, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that ye would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So in verse 24, we find another request here, except this one is from Gideon himself. And what he asked for is the golden earrings that they had collected from the corpses of the slain enemy soldiers. Now look at verse 25. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. Just in the gold alone, the Bible says that they coughed up or gave to Gideon seventeen hundred shekels of gold plus the garments and other ornaments, etc., etc. And the Bible says that the people said, we'll willingly give it to you. Now, if you were, I tried to like figure out how much that would be, because I'm just curious like that. And the closest that I can come to is that 1,700 shekels of gold would probably be around 57 pounds of gold. And at today's prices... In today's money, that would roughly be $1.7 million worth of gold. The point is, it was a lot. It was really valuable. It was a lot of money. It was worth something. Now, I want you to note verse 27. The Bible says, And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah, so what, the, what happened here? Gideon took the gold that he was given, and the Bible says that he made an ephod out of it. Now what is an ephod? Well, an ephod was a garment that was used in the ministry of the high priest. It was a sleeveless outer vest type uh, apparel that, that, that would come down to the hips of the priest. The high priest of Israel, he wore a linen ephod, and that linen ephod had 12 stones in it, in the front of it, that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. There was also a pouch that was in it that contained the Urim and the Thummim, which as close as we can come to, it was some sort of stones that they used to help discern the will of God. But that's what Gideon made out of the 1,700 shekels of gold. He makes an ephod, a high priest's prayer garment from gold, and then he took that ephod, and the Bible says that he placed it in his hometown, even in Orpha. Well, here's the part that I want you to pay attention to. Look at verse 27 again, and notice the end of it. And the Bible says, And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. What we're told here is that the Bible says that all of Israel went a-whoring after that ephod. 
The word whoring means to commit fornication. It's talking about spiritual fornication. This thing became an idol unto the nation of Israel, and the people of God went after this ephod and worshipped it because it represented victory over their enemies to them. The people were drawn away from where they were supposed to be worshipping, and they went to Ophrah to worship at the ephod that Gideon made. Here's the application. How easy it is to find ourselves caught up in something that ultimately dishonors God because of some misplaced loyalty. Or we jump on somebody's cause because we think it's the right thing or on the right side. Listen, the motives of these people were probably good, but motives and good motives are never replacements for truth. Let me say it again. Motives are never replacements for truth. Listen, I know of a situation where people have good motives. And in their mind and in their thinking, they're doing right. But ultimately, they're ending up on the wrong side of the issue because they have a misplaced loyalty. They're not loyal to truth They're loyal to a man. We need to make sure, listen, friend, listen. We need to make sure that any cause that we embrace in our lives actually has the backing of the Word of God and the will of God behind it. Or don't get on the cause. Failing to do that is ultimately going to lead in a place that dishonors God and it's going to affect the person's life. No matter how right something seems, if it isn't according to God's plan, it's not of the Lord. No matter how many people are doing it. Amen? Now look at verse 27 again, because I want you to see the end of it. This same thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. We're told that the ephod, the decision that Gideon made, not only did it affect those people, but it became a snare unto Gideon himself and to his house. The word snare there has the idea of a trap. That ephod was what Satan used to destroy the testimony of an otherwise great man. And the point is this, be careful what you do in your life. There are plenty of things that come our way that might appear so innocent on the surface. And often we fail to understand that those seemingly innocent things can end up being tools and traps that may ultimately destroy our influence and even sometimes our testimony. Before you embrace any cause, Before you jump on somebody's bandwagon, before you act on anything, does it truly line up with what God says in His Word? Gideon lost his influence because he failed to keep God first in his life. And the same thing can happen to any one of us. We need to be sure that God, His will, His Word, His worship are what motivates us as we sojourn in this life. 
He faced some secular temptation. He succeeded. He did well. He faced some spiritual temptation. He didn't do so well. That had some effects, some results. And I want you to look with me here because even though Gideon weathered one temptation successfully, he failed in another and ultimately it affected the end of his life. Look at verse 30. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. What we find here is that Gideon compromised. Gideon ended up being a compromiser. We're told that Gideon took to himself many wives. We don't know how many wives he had, but it was enough to produce 70 sons of his own body. Do you know that that was something that was never authorized by God? In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, in verse 17, the rulers of Israel were forbidden to take multiple wives. And God knew that many wives would divide the hearts of the kings and pull them away from God. That was clearly seen in the life of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Yet at the end of his life, he's not so wise, is he? In 1 Kings chapter 11, the Bible tells us exactly what happened to, to Solomon, that his heart was, was pulled away. He had a divided heart, and it was exactly what God said to him would happen. Anywhere you find this in the Bible, with any man who served God, Abraham, David, Jacob, Solomon, you always find problems connected to it. Gideon ended up compromising the will of God. But not only that, we could say that Gideon ended up being a casualty. And I use that word maybe a little bit differently. It was mostly for the sake of the outline. <laughs> but I want you to note this. In the end, Gideon ends up losing his influence and losing his family. Notice here, the Bible says in verse 33, And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal Berith their God. After he died, the people continued their downward slide into more and more idolatry. They went to whoring after that ephod. They worshipped at it. It was an idol to them. After Gideon dies, they continued their downward spiral. And then when Gideon died, he was relegated to the past. Look at verse 35. The Bible says in verse 34, The children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had shown unto them. What does the Bible tell us here? That after Gideon died, not only did the people continue in idolatry, 
But Gideon himself was relegated to the past. He was forgotten by the very people that he delivered. If you read on into chapter 9, you'll find that one of his sons, the one that's named Abimelech, who is the son of Gideon's concubine, he decided that he should be king over Israel. And through a series of events, you can read about, about it yourself, he ends up killing 69 of his brothers so that he could be declared the king. Gideon lost his family and everything that he had built. And the lesson here is this. When we walk in ways that are not the Lord's ways and in paths that are not the Lord's paths, there's always a terrible price to pay for that disobedience. But the more important lesson, or an equally important lesson, is this. Just because we followed the Lord in the past and God used us, does not guarantee today. What a tragic and sad thing. Men who serve the Lord for such a long time end up making a foolish choice or two. And it begins to undo or tarnish everything before. And ultimately, it ends up affecting people, their own life, and the future. We can become a casualty, is the point. Because of some foolish decision that seems right at the moment, but ultimately is on the wrong side. That's a lesson that we can learn from Gideon. Don't be like Gideon in that aspect. And what a shame it would be to live your life in victory and power to the glory of God just to see it all come to nothing because of a foolish decision. But you know what? The landscape of human history, it's littered with tragic stories like that. So many people have done so well for so long only to see it come crumbling down at the end. It doesn't have to be that way though, amen? We can live well and we can leave well. We can finish our course in a way that glorifies the Lord and leaves behind a good testimony. We don't have to end up a casualty and I pray, my prayer is that none of us will, amen? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep, keep focused on the Lord, His will, His word. Keep surrendered to the Lord. Make the word of God the priority. Be true and loyal to God's word, amen, first and foremost, and to Christ, and we'll end well. Gideon's life uh, didn't have to and didn't have to be uh, noted at the end of his life just like this. And it's sad and tragic when it is. You're used of God. The Word of God has so much good to say about you. But then you see the other side. Let's ask the Lord to help us to stay faithful. Amen. Stay true to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd challenge and encourage us with these principles. There's lots of temptations in life. Some secular. Some physical. Some spiritual. Gideon conquered every external enemy, but ultimately at the end was affected in the inner man. Lord, I pray that you would help us to strengthen the inner man through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, 
And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in these areas of life. The way we end is just as important as how we ran the race. And Lord, may we stay faithful. And Lord, by your grace, ultimately bring glory and honor to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.